You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks, along with Rob Rang. Happy Wednesday to each and all of our listeners. This episode coming your way courtesy of Built Bar, the delicious protein bar. Less sugar, less calories, it's gluten-free, no nuts. Get $10 off your first box by using the code LOCKEDON at BuiltBar.com. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. There's a growing sense of concern in Seattle right now that the team won't have Rashad Penny available at the start of the season. In fact, sources that I talked to earlier today indicated that they would be surprised if Penny does not miss the first six games of the year on the pup list. So that is a big hole on the running back depth chart for the Seahawks. Obviously, they drafted DJ Dallas. They've got Travis Homer coming back. Chris Carson is expected to be healthy, returning from a cracked hip. But without Penny... The Seahawks are looking for another veteran to add to the fold. They've been linked to Carlos Hyde. And today I was told the Seahawks have an offer on the table for former Falcons Pro Bowler Devonta Freeman, who is 28 years old. He's coming off kind of a down uh, season the last two years, actually. He's been battling injuries. But this is a player, as I mentioned, Rob was a Pro Bowler for two seasons for the Falcons. And he is a dynamic threat, both as a runner and a receiver. If there's anything left in the tank at the right price, it's understandable why Seattle would be taking a look. No, absolutely it is. Uh, I mean, just the, the the fact that, as you talked about, Corbin, the Seahawks have some concerns at running back. Uh, you know, Chris Carson obviously is a star, but he is coming off of that, that cracked hip. Um, you hope that he is going to be available, but just knowing how physically he runs, you, you want to have a legitimate uh, starting caliber running back, essentially being your, your number two, your handcuff to him. Um, you know, and, and Devontae Freeman certainly can be that. Uh, you know, the, the Seahawks are going to know him well. Of course, going up against the Atlanta Falcons so many times uh, throughout Freeman's career. Uh, Dan Quinn, of course, the, the Atlanta Falcons head coach, still remains very tight with with a lot of the guys in Seattle. So they're going to have some insight on him uh, with Freeman. Uh, you know, and, and Freeman is a back that you know really got kind of caught up in a similar situation as Justin Britt for the Seahawks, and that he was a good player who was very much valued by the franchise. But you know, it's just the salary cap reality, um, and so that's why he is available this point and he's very prideful he, he wants to be paid like a starter and I think that's going to be one of the reasons why why he is he is available at this point and, and it remains to be seen if Seattle is able to come to a deal with him but if they are able to do so then I think that this would be one of those types of picks that is essentially a no-brainer if again if financially and medically that, that Devontae Freeman checks both of those boxes I'm glad that you mentioned the medicals here because just two years ago Freeman only played in two games for the Falcons. He had a knee injury early in the year and then a groin injury that eventually needed surgery, landed him on injured reserve. He just could not get healthy that season. And then he's had a couple of concussions over the years too. So this is a back that's had some injury issues. At 28 years old, a lot of people are going to laugh about this, but that that's getting fairly up there for a running back, especially in today's NFL. And so There's a reason that he remains available. He's just another cautionary tale for teams thinking about giving running backs a second deal because before 2017, he got a five-year extension on his contract for the Falcons worth over $40 million. When they cut him, he had three years left on his deal. 
And so that's the kind of move that's been happening a lot. We saw it with Ty Gurley in L.A. as well. These star running backs that get paid more times than not, it does not work out for the team. And that's, again, as you mentioned, the the reality of the salary cap. If you're looking for what this guy is capable of doing, though, he did have over 50 receptions last year out of the backfield. So he's still a very good receiver coming out of the backfield. You can line him up in the slot occasionally. You can motion him around. Had a little over 600 rushing yards last year. 3.8 yards per carry, the lowest in his career. So he didn't run the ball well. Atlanta had a really tough time offensively most of last year. But going back to 2015 and 2016, back-to-back 1,000-plus yard seasons. And during that span, he had over 1,000 receiving yards out of the backfield too. And 27 combined touchdowns. That's been a few years ago. But certainly he's a guy, I think, in a complimentary role to Chris Carson I think he fits the bill as a Rashad Penny-style player that still has enough burst to get to the second level and pick up big chunks of yardage, can still be a home run threat. He can get the ball into his hands as a receiver. So from a scheme fit and what they're looking for, contrasting Chris Carson, it makes a lot of sense. I think Carlos Hyde is another player that certainly they can look at if they're going to go this route. But at the same time, I am kind of surprised they're this in deep in negotiations with a veteran like this for a $4 million deal. That's what Mike Silver is reporting for NFL Network. That seems a little bit rich to me, especially after drafting DJ Dallas, to go out and get a veteran like that. I think that it is, uh, you know, it is a little bit more money, I think, than, uh, than you, know, you might expect given how close we are to the season. But at the same time, this is still, as you mentioned, Corbin, a two-time Pro Bowler who's 28 years old. Uh, I mean, I, I think that he um, – I think that, that Freeman – should be getting that type of money. I, I personally believe that, that he is absolutely the starting caliber running back in the NFL, again, with the caveat being, is he healthy? Um, but uh, I, you know, you, no one knows that at this point, obviously. But, um, you know, I, I just think back to, to how good he was when he wasn't being asked to basically carry the load. When, and it was he and Tevin Coleman for Atlanta that, that gave them really one of the best one-two punches in all the NFL. Um, and, and so that's, I think, what, what the Seahawks can be looking at. I, again, I think that the $4 million price tag, to me, I, I, I think that I'd be willing to pay that um, if – Again, if your, your doctors feel that, that he is healthy, uh, th- this is a completely different type of back than, than what Seattle currently has on the roster. I mean, a 5'8", 210 pounds. I mean, this is a short, squatty, powerful little guy. He's very quick. Um, he, he's, he's a good football player, as, uh, you know, as, as Seahawks fans probably already realize. But, again, one of the things that I like about this is, is the fact that that the, the familiarity um, and the fact that Seattle opens up this season against the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, you don't think Devontae Freeman is going to want to get some payback? I mean, I think that any time that you can get that type of mentality working on your side, then I think that it makes some sense. I think with Penny possibly missing the first six games, like I said, the sources I talked to said they would be surprised if he didn't, then it does make more sense that you would put that kind of money into a player like Freeman that is a proven running back that has done some really good things in this league, has been to the Pro Bowl twice. But again, $4 million, I was surprised by that. My sources weren't able to give me a price point as far as what he's rejected at this point, but it sounds like he's rejected a $4 million offer, but it's still on the table. So the Seahawks are keeping it there in case he changes his mind. It doesn't appear to be much of a market for him or Carlos Hyde right now. 
amid the coronavirus too is making it even tougher for teams to make these deals still. So we'll have to wait and see, but it's clearly evident based on the fact that they have looked into Freeman, they've looked at Hyde, they looked at Isaiah Crowell earlier in the offseason. They are looking for another running back that can come in and help them because they are not confident they're going to have Rashad Penny for most of the first half of the 2020 season. When we come back for the second quarter, continuing our what-if week here on Locked On Seahawks, we're going to go pretty recent here in the last decade. Everyone knows what Russell Wilson's done for the Seahawks, but how close were they really to not drafting Russell Wilson and bringing in a veteran superstar quarterback back in 2012? We're going to go back in the time machine and look early in Pete Carroll's tenure at a move that had ripple effects for multiple teams in the league. Don't go away. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As an avid weightlifter and distance runner, I'm always looking for an edge when it comes to nutrition, seeking quality tasting protein bars without crazy additives. Since being diagnosed with celiac disease, my options have been pretty limited. Enter in the Built Bar, a low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, gluten-free protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Built Bar comes in 16 amazing flavors. My personal favorite is the peanut butter brownie, which is 20 grams of protein and just 3 grams of sugar and 3 grams of net carbs. Since I had my first one, I won't go without it before hitting my squat rack or going for a jog. All Built Bars are 100% chocolate, nut and gluten free, soft and easy to chew, and don't have the nasty aftertaste associated with most protein bars. Sound too good to be true? Go to BuiltBar.com and check out all their flavor options. You can build your own custom box and new flavors will be coming out May 10th. Try this delicious product for yourself and change your exercise game by using promo code LOCKEDON and get $10 off your first box at BuiltBar.com. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, along with Rob Rang. Coming up later in the third quarter, there's been some murmurs out there about John Schneider taking too many risks on troubled players over the years. Is it true or not? Rob and I are going to break that down and look at some previous cases, including Bruce Irvin, who has now come back to Seattle for a second stint. But before we get to that point, it's time for our daily what-if segment here The last couple days, we talked about what if Tony Dorsett was picked by the Seahawks in 1977? Then, of course, what would have happened if the Seahawks didn't win the NFC West in 2010? Two huge things that happened earlier in Seahawks history. We're going to go back into the time machine, not too far into the past, but fairly recent, back into 2012. And, Rob, the Seahawks going into the 2012 offseason, they were coming off a strong finish to the prior season. They started off 2 and 6, but they won 5 of their last 8 games to move to 7 and 9 in the NFC West. Under the leadership of Tavares Jackson, they had a lot of young defensive players that were starting to emerge. Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor, both of them earning their first Pro Bowl that year. KJ Wright and Richard Sherman as rookies in the middle of the season bust into the starting lineup and don't give it back to a veteran, and they show they are both going to be players to mess with in coming seasons and then of course Marshawn Lynch rushes for over 1200 yards for the first time in his career leading the offense so they had a lot of the pieces in place to be a contender in the NFC the only thing they were missing was a quarterback and obviously in reality they went out and they they signed Matt Flynn and then they drafted Russell Wilson we know the rest Russell Wilson becomes a perennial Pro Bowl quarterback but I don't think people realize how badly The Seattle Seahawks wanted Peyton Manning after the Colts cut him in March 2012. Yeah, the, you know, 
you, you did a great job there of kind of painting the scene because the, the Seahawks really did feel like they were on the cusp of something big, and obviously they were. Um, but they they did need a, a quarterback, and, and so they were very aggressive, and, and, and they basically put on the full court press with uh, with the, the great Peyton Manning, who of course um, had had a phenomenal career um, with the Indianapolis Colts, but with the, the neck surgery, um, and the, you know the the Colts decided to release him, and and they were, wound up of course selecting uh, Andrew Luck number one overall that year, which was you know kind of ex- expected. I mean, everybody kind of knew that was the direction that they were going to go but suddenly you had Peyton Manning out there as a free agent you have one of the great motivators in Pete Carroll who of course is hyper competitive wants to try to get Peyton Manning here you you have a guy in in John Schneider who is about as personable as it gets and so he's one of those guys that they could also be a very good negotiator and uh, kind of a you know a rah-rah guy could be able to convince somebody to go onto your team and it just looked in a lot of ways Corbin, that, that, that Peyton Manning would be perfect in Seattle. But of course, Peyton Manning didn't feel that way. Right, you are, Rob. Yeah, the Seahawks might have wanted Peyton Manning, but Peyton Manning didn't want the Seahawks throughout this entire ordeal. There was a whole bunch of teams that were lining up trying to sign Peyton Manning. You had the Dolphins, Cardinals, Titans. Obviously, the Broncos were in the mix. There were a couple other teams that were trying to get meetings with him, but he dictated this different than most free agents. Usually, teams try to offer up, hey, we'd like a visit, come out and visit us. In this case, Peyton Manning said, no, you come visit me. And he only did that for a handful of teams. The Seahawks were not one of those. And Pete Carroll apparently did not get the message because, of course, they're looking at the roster they've got, extremely talented young roster. I mentioned all the defensive players they brought in. They've got some receivers. They've got Marshawn Lynch in the backfield. They're like, you know what? We're going to put on this full court press. Let's go see if we can get Peyton Manning to come to Seattle. So Peter King was breaking this down on a Sports Illustrated podcast earlier this week that what happened was Carol just decided, you know what? I can persuade Peyton Manning. If I get an opportunity to meet with him, I can get the five-time first-team All-Pro to at least listen. It gives us an opportunity to sign him. So he flew to Denver when Manning was set up to visit with the Broncos. And ultimately his hope was, if I could just get Peyton Manning to sit down with me and I could make a pitch in person, then we've got a chance. It was kind of like Lloyd on Dumb and Dumber and one in a million, but you're saying we've got a chance. That's what Pete Carroll was really hoping for here. And once he flew to Denver, Peyton Manning never went to go meet with Pete Carroll. So Pete Carroll flew all the way to Denver trying to chase this elusive free agent and Manning never met with him. He just snubbed him. So Carroll got back on the plane and just flew back to Seattle. <laughs> it's just kind of a crazy situation. And so he clearly was not interested in entertaining the possibility of playing in Seattle. And as King hinted, Manning was probably just put off by the fact that Carroll flew to meet with him when they never made that arrangement as part of his free agent tour. Carroll's trying to make this convenient, but Manning's like, I already told you, this is not happening. I don't want to play in Seattle. And so it never was really close to happening. They couldn't even get a meeting with him. But the possibilities here, I think looking back on it, Peyton Manning's probably like, hmm, I didn't know they were going to become that good that quickly. 
Yeah, exactly. And, and that's the thing is that, you know, we just yesterday we had a similar conversation about Tony Dorsett and how that he didn't want to come to Seattle, uh, you know, and obviously that worked out very well for him and in his Hall of Fame career with the Dallas Cowboys. Obviously, things worked out pretty well for, for Peyton Manning and, and his tour with, with the Denver Broncos. But at the same time, it wasn't the, the, the greatest of looks for Manning. But it's, you, you got to give the, the man his, you know, his credit. He, he kind of knows where he wants to go, he wants to do. But when we started talking in the first quarter about Devontae Freeman, and I, I tried to make the point about just the incentive, the motivation that he had, you know, for for Seattle to obviously wind up going in a different direction than Peyton Manning, uh, and then to go against him in, in the Super Bowl. I mean, can you imagine that kind of motivation for for Pete Carroll, for John Schneider, for Russell Wilson? I mean, to me, it's that. To me, you, you talked about how this this is a story, this is a what if scenario that has so many fingerprints on so many different franchises. I mean, you really can, you know, look at like what would be the ramifications if the Seahawks have been able to, to get Peyton Manning. Obviously, there would be no Russell Wilson. Um, Seattle wouldn't have been drafting the quarterback in the third round a couple of months after signing, uh, you know, Peyton Manning. But, uh, you know, it, so again, it, to me, this is, is one of the fun debates uh, about our what if conversations. Yeah, just two years later, Seattle crosses paths with Manning again in the Super Bowl, and Wilson and that stingy defense just run the Broncos out of MetLife Stadium in a 43-8 to throttling. They get their first Lombardi trophy. So Manning was probably looking at that like, dang, like I said, I didn't think this team was going to be that good that quickly, and yet Seattle won the Super Bowl just two years later. And I guess the big thing here, we're never going to know how things would have played out if Manning did meet with Carroll. Even if he did, that didn't guarantee the Seahawks are going to be able to talk him into coming. But let's just assume that he did. If Peyton Manning signed with the Seahawks, I was thinking about this while I was writing the article earlier today. I I think you could make a really strong argument. Denver had a really good defense, but they were at their best in 2015. They, They were average in that 2013 season. If you put that Seahawks defense from 2012, 2013, 2014 with Peyton Manning when he still had several good seasons left. I mean, we're talking a guy that was shattering records with the Denver Broncos. I would not be surprised if the Seahawks had more than one Super Bowl title right now. And that's not knocking Russell Wilson. He nearly got them that second Lombardi trophy in 2014. In the short run, though... You got to wonder if this team could have been even more dominant because just how great of a player Peyton Manning was under center. I guess the only caveat to that is that would have been a big contract. Which defensive players would they not have been able to afford to bring in? That was a luxury that you had with Russell Wilson, a third round pick playing on his rookie deal. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the big part of it is that those rookie contracts for the quarterbacks, that's your kind of your window of, of, of opportunity. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm happy that you mentioned that just because of, you know, obviously salary cap would have been very, very different if you bring in Peyton Manning, um, you know. But at the same time, I, I I think that it's I think you're right. I, I think that there would have been a chance for for possibly another Super Bowl just because obviously Russell Wilson came in as a rookie, you weren't going to win a Super Bowl, um, you know. And Peyton Manning right out of the box uh, came back in and and was spectacular. Um, and I also think that the talent that, that Seattle had, you know, the so-called pedestrian receiving core that, that Seattle had, uh, I think that the the statistics would have been much more inflated if you have uh, a quarterback like Peyton Manning because I think the Seattle 
would have been forced to throw the football a little bit more. I think they potentially could have added length to Peyton Manning's career because he would have been supplemented or protected a little bit more by a great defense, by a terrific running game. Not Again, not to having disrespect to what he had in Denver, but wasn't the level of Seattle's during that time. To me, one of the fascinating things is, of course, we know the personalities the Seahawks had. I don't know that Peyton Manning's personality would have fit in any better than Russell Wilson's had. So I think the Seahawks fans are pretty happy with the, the one Lombardi that they did get. I, w- I was wondering about this. How would the Legion of Boom have responded to Peyton Manning? I mean, he's a different personality than Russell Wilson. I, I think he's much more willing to come after his teammates than what Russell Wilson is. There might have been some friction there. That said, Peyton Manning was coming in having been a pro bowler in 11 of the prior 12 seasons that he played. So the amount of respect that he would have commanded right away would have been way more than Russell Wilson as a third round pick coming out of Wisconsin, but I think we can look back at this. Obviously, Manning's decision to ignore Carroll, not meet with him, sign with the Broncos, it seemed like all along that that really was the favorite for him to go to Denver, and it really worked out for both franchises. The Seahawks got their franchise quarterback on day two. The Broncos eventually got back to the Super Bowl, and even though Manning was at the end of his career and did not have a good season, he was even benched that year late in the season for Brock Osweiler. They were able to get to the Super Bowl again with that great defense they had, and he was able to win his second Super Bowl and ride into the sunset. That is the ideal way to exit an NFL career, especially for somebody like Manning that's one of the best quarterbacks in NFL history. From Seattle's perspective, they can also say, hey, we've still got Russell Wilson in his prime right now. We are better positioned to contend than Denver is. Denver has been rolling through quarterbacks since Manning retired in 2016. We've got our guys. So there's pros and cons on both sides. It would be fascinating to see what that would have looked like, but I think it's safe to say both teams ended up doing quite well given how this played out. When we come back in the third quarter, there's plenty of murmurs out there. John Schneider taking too many risks on troubled, at-risk players. We're going to look at a bunch of cases during Schneider's time in Seattle along with Pete Carroll, and we're going to discuss whether those murmurs have any validity to them. Don't go away. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back. Glad to have you joining us here on the Locked On Seahawks podcast. This is your host, Corbin Smith, along with Rob Rang. There's been a lot of discussion. If you pay close attention to social media, and to be honest, Rob, sometimes with my job, I absolutely have to pay attention to social media, but there are times I wish that I didn't have to, and this is one of the reasons why. There's all kinds of chatter out there, whether it's about Pete Carroll getting fired. I saw there were some other people trying to stew that up again yesterday. I'm like, what is wrong with you guys? I know we're quarantined, but come on. You see stuff like that, but the other thing that I've seen a lot of discussion about from fans that I think is worth discussing, especially after talking with Bruce Irvin yesterday in his Zoom press conference, there's been a lot of discussion about John Schneider being too willing to take on troubled, at-risk players. Guys who have a history of getting in trouble with the law or have major character red flags. And the Seahawks have certainly taken a lot of risks in that regard over the years. But I don't know why it is, it's kind of eaten at me a little bit that these people are writing about Schneider taking his risks when I think ultimately way more times than not, he has had success turning those, those guys lives around in Seattle. 
Absolutely. I think the Seahawks deserve a lot of credit um, because they, they have rolled the dice uh, on some guys who, who had some character concerns and, and there have been some, you know, some flubs. Um, but at the same time, there have been some absolute superstars. I mean, you know, you only have to go back a couple of years and remember all the fallout there was with Frank Clark, uh, you know. But at the same time, he, he came to Seattle, never got himself into any trouble. Um, he, he became a, a superstar, um, obviously won, won a championship, with, you know, just here uh, with, with the Kansas City Chiefs and is doing big things with them. Um, you know, th- there's just so many players that the, the Seahawks have, have selected in the past that I think have have matured under Pete Carroll, under the the, the, the culture that, that he's helped bring to Seattle. And I think that, that John Schneider, I, I think, is one of the – just the, his success speaks for itself. But, you know, you, you go back to, uh, you know, his time at, at Green Bay uh, under Ted Thompson, previously under, you know, with Ron Wolf and Scott McLuhan and, and uh, Alonzo Highsmith. I mean, all these guys who have worked together for so long um, and how, and they've all been willing to to roll the dice occasionally with the player if they made some type of, of connection with them. You know, these are, I think sometimes people on social media, since you mentioned it, I think it's it's very easy to 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 cast stones in glass houses. You know, cast stones, um, especially if you're on social media, you don't even have a name behind what you're you're saying but these are young men and and some of the mistakes that they've made corbin as you well know are are when they're teenagers or when the early early years of college and and so in in some cases uh i I think that that yeah it's right to take a player completely off of your board but for the most part if you are a coach who who um is the way that you know is is wired the way that Pete Carroll is, and you have a competitor like uh, you know like like John Schneider as well. Then to me, you are going to try and give as many young men as many opportunities as you possibly can, um, you know. And, and that to me is one of the things that they've done a very very good job of. So I want to start this conversation off talking about Malik McDowell because I think this is the big reason why so many fans are engaging in this discussion. Everybody looks back at what happened to Malik McDowell, the unfortunate ATV accident. There were re- there were character red flags on this kid coming in. I think he had first-round talent. The reason he was still there early in the second was because a lot of teams had questions, mainly about his maturity. And going out and getting in an ATV accident two weeks before the start of training camp, that is certainly an example of being immature. But I don't see how anyone can blame John Schneider for that particular fallout there. There's no way John Schneider could have known when he drafted him that this player isn't going to play a single snap of training camp even because he's going to get into an ATV accident just a couple weeks before everything gets started. There's no way they could have known that was going to happen. And so, yeah, can you use it as a learning experience? Maybe to an extent, but that's just one example of a player that it didn't work out. He made a huge mistake and now he's going to pay for it the rest of his life because he never gets to play a single down in the NFL. But that's the most extreme example where things didn't work. For every Malik McDowell, you've got a Bruce Irvin or a Marshawn Lynch. Just listening to Bruce Irvin talk to reporters yesterday, this is a player who, coming into the league, had a laundry list of red flags. And we're not talking just innocent little things like, oh, he might be a little immature. I mean, there were questions about him getting involved in drugs. There were questions about violence things of that nature. So a lot of people were stunned that Seattle used a first round pick on it, but they had confidence in their system 
with their coaches and with the players they had in the locker room that they would be able to bring out the best in this guy. And they have. He's now entering the ninth year of his NFL career. He's involved in charity. This is a guy that has had a fantastic NFL career. Maybe not as good as they envisioned being a mid-first round pick, but he's been very solid. He's had several seasons with eight plus sacks. Last year, career and a half, eight and a half sacks for the Panthers. And like he said, Pete Carroll and particularly Ken Norton Jr., those guys have been father figures. They really saved his life bringing him to Seattle and Now he's going to be forever grateful for that, and now he's going to play the role of a mentor. He's not going to be coming back to Seattle just to play. He is eager for the chance to pay it forward and do what Chris Clemens, Red Bryant, Brandon Meebane, the guys that worked worked with him when he was first trying to find his way in the league, he now wants a a role reversal there. He wants to be the guy that's working with Rasheem Green, Daryl Taylor. Alton Robinson, those kind of guys. And so to me, if you're going to mention the McDowell story, why not go back to Frank Clark or particularly the Bruce Irvin story, guys that came into the league with plenty of red flags and ended up working things out and and finding a home in Seattle. There's a lot more of those than there is Malik McDowell stories under John Schneider. Yeah, exactly, Corbin. I I think that that you're right to to mention those two uh, as other extremes. Uh, I mean, I mentioned Frank Clark, but but Bruce Irvin, very similar situation in that he had all kinds of uh, very scary off-field issues. I mean, there there was there's lots of stuff there, Um, but at the same time, the maturity uh, and and consistency that that he showed um, not only in Seattle, but as you mentioned, his other stops and most recently in Carolina, uh, you know, just really shows that that who he is as a person. Um, and, and so, again, I think that it's something that the Seahawks deserve some credit for being willing to take those players in the first place. And then I think that they do, they deserve even more credit for being able to help some of these young players become not only good football players, obviously that's the goal here is to win championships, but to be also become just productive members of society. You know, I mean, and unfortunately, we're seeing so many, uh, you know, people around the, the world who do have a lot of money, do have some fame, make make poor choices. And, and we have not seen that very often um, during the, the Pete Carroll and John Schneider time in, in Seattle, despite the fact that they have taken some players who who others would consider to be characters red flag. So again, I, I think that the franchise deserves an awful lot of credit. Uh, and, and the fact that they're being, you know, derided by some for that, it, it, to me, is kind of laughable. A couple other examples I just kind of want to throw out there just because, again, this is something that has kind of chewed at me a little bit the last few days because I'm thinking, you know, as a former teacher, and you get this, you're still a teacher. You don't want to give up on people, you know, especially young people that are 20, 21, 22 years old. Coming into the NFL, these guys are getting tons of money thrown at them, and and sometimes that is a really bad thing for a young man that's got some character red flags. So you got to have the right support system for these guys to be able to make it and really put their best foot forward. But you don't want to give up on people either. So you got a guy like Marshawn Lynch that had a DUI. He actually had a hit-and-run incident with the Buffalo Bills. He got in trouble a couple of other times. The Seahawks traded for him, and obviously everybody knew the talent as a former first-round pick, a guy that had a 1,000-yard season with the Buffalo Bills early in his career, but his troubles were outweighing his talent at that point. The Seahawks allowed him to be that guy that could beat to the sound of his own drum 
and he found incredible success in Seattle. Were there some times where he ended up, you know, burning some bridges or rubbing people the wrong way? Absolutely. It's Marshawn Lynch, and he doesn't care. That's the thing. He does not care. But look at the things Marshawn Lynch does now off the field and the impact that he makes in society. This is a guy that brings smiles to the faces of young people everywhere. He was passing out masks the other day a few weeks back to people just out randomly in uh, California. I mean, the guy... He might not love talking to the media, but he has developed into a sensational human being that just does things his own way. And the Seattle Seahawks have have fostered a culture that allows players like that to be successful. They've allowed players to be themselves, you know, and I think that that's how one of the ways that you can be successful is that, you know, if you really embrace diversity and I don't mean that obviously just skin color or religion or whatever the case, but just different person perspectives and certainly Marshawn Lynch brings a different perspective. But, you know, so many of the Seahawks that they, they've drafted, some of the guys that, that, that did have some kind of uh, you know character red flags or however you want to put it again. They brought a perspective. They had they had had to deal with some things or, or been in in very dangerous or difficult situations that has taught them again perspective. And so, you know, it, it, football game is, is so much less significant than some of the things that some of these players have gone through. I think that's one of the reasons why the the Seahawks have focused in on these types of players. And I love that you mentioned Marshawn Lynch specifically, just because, you know, some of these other players are guys that, you know, Seattle had to draft. They had to, they, they did their vetting, um, you know, as rookies and all of that kind of stuff. Obviously Pete Carroll knew Marshawn Lynch, uh, you know, during his uh, Lynch's time at Cal um, when, when Carroll was coaching at USC, but still it was a, little bit more of a roll of the dice anytime you're making a move for a veteran do that uh and and to have all the success that 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 marshawn lynch had in seattle for seattle to do the like the move for percy harvin all the people who were negative about percy harvin he, he played here one year they won a Super Bowl that same year. Sure, he created some headaches, but I think that they'll take and that they trade out all day long. They moved on once they realized that they weren't going to be able to remedy that situation, that they weren't going to be able to get him to buy in to their system. Exactly. Yep. And, and so that's and because you allow yourself that that opportunity to to go with different personalities to to take elite athletes and try to blend it together because you have a strong leader already in Pete Carroll, then I think that you can you it, it gives you different uh you know, opportunities to uh, to get different types of players that other teams would be willing to take. And I think that's one of the reasons why Seattle's had the success that they had. And you look at the last couple drafts since the fallout of Malik McDowell, it does look like the Seahawks are drafting a little different style player. We're not seeing them take the same risks going out and drafting guys that have been in trouble with the law a bunch of times. Alton Robinson's the only draft pick, as far as I know, that is on their team that has been in trouble with the law, but he's really turned his life around. And he even told reporters, he had, he said, look, I was immature. I made a huge mistake and I learned from it. And he's been a model citizen for Syracuse the last three years. So he did learn from it. The Seahawks weren't concerned at all. Pete Carroll made that very clear. That didn't factor in at all into their process of drafting him. They weren't concerned about that. And so they're going to continue to give guys chances. They're, they're not going to give up on people. That's the way that Pete Carroll and John Schneider handle things. At the same time, though, it does look like, especially this year without OTAs and minicamps, they were looking for more mature, more experienced players that they could bring in that they didn't have to hold their hands. And so we are seeing some differences there. 
At the same time, I think the past shows that Schneider and Carroll are capable of handling personalities like that and making them fit in the in the locker room and making them model citizens off the field. We've seen it several times with quality players in Seattle over the years. So I just think it's unfair. I think you and I agree it is unfair that maybe there's that label out there that John Schneider shouldn't be bringing in players like this. There are certain guys out there that have been in the have been in trouble with the law a ton that every team needs to stay away from. But John Schneider and Pete Carroll, for the most part, when they've rolled the dice, they've ended up winning. They've ended up doing well, and, and they've really helped the person, which is what matters most here. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. If you'd like to be a featured sponsor on the Locked On Seahawks podcast, you can contact me, LockedSeahawks at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever your preferred podcast platform is. Go into our website, LockedOnSeahawks.com. Coming up on our Thursday show, we're going to look back at a not-so-fortunate sale of the Seahawks and how they almost ended up in California. Plus, we'll look at the state of the defensive tackle room. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Go Hawks!